This podcast is brought to you by eRadio. For more podcasts, check out our website on eradiosa.com or download the eRadio SA app from the Google Play Store. Enjoy. It's time again for Medical Monday on E-Radio and joined by ophthalmologist Dr. Dylan Joseph who's going to talk to us today about dry eye. Yes, uh, a big hello to you, doctor. How's it going? Hey, Jan. Very well, thanks. And yourself? Uh, hope you've had a good week. Yes, good. Thank you. And and uh, another brand new week ahead of us. <laughs> how was how is yours? Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to this uh, session on dry eye. It's a uh, an enigma to some and a frustration to many. And um, I think it's a very, very important topic that uh, we need to discuss, not only as cataract and refractive surgeons, but as general ophthalmologists and optometrists. I think it's a um, something that's uh, often overlooked by us all and uh, is very difficult actually to diagnose and treat. And people tend to wave a, uh, you know, a, a a number over dry eye and just call it as it is and say well this is what it is and this is how you treat it but it's actually far more complex than that so i look forward to getting into the a little more nuances and details and mm. uh and how we can sort it out now let's talk about the actual definition what exactly is dry eye is it exactly what it sounds like no so dry eye actually used to be just that exactly uh, people associated a symptom of irritation or discomfort and, um, you know, you'd wave a magic wand of a couple of drops of lubricants and, and hope for the best and hope it would sort itself out. But it's actually such a complex disease that uh, a society called TFOS, or the Tear Film and Ocular Surface Disease Society, sat down a few years ago and redefined dry eye under the dry eye workshop or DUES. So there's a new classification called the DUES 2 classification which has completely relooked at it and basically saying that dry eye is a combination of symptoms. It's a combination of signs. So basically what you're describing and what the clinician finds, it has also got to do with the loss of homeostasis of the normal environment of the surface of your eye. So homeostasis means that there are many, many factors on the surface and outside the surface of the eye, which are intrinsic to a normal feeling eye, so to speak, right? So that becomes imbalanced. And then furthermore, they've added to the definition that there's often a neurogenic or a nerve component to dry eye. And the brain gets stimulated uh, to these painful stimulus that occur on the surface of the eye, that it actually starts triggering impulses in the brain. And there's a number of ways that you can differentiate this. Is it purely on the surface of the eye um, or has it gone past that and now deep-seated itself in the brain and is misfiring impulses in the brain? Um, so it's a very complex disease that we need to look at from point A right through to Z, uh, look at the homeostasis, look at the signs and symptoms, listen to a good history uh, to, to make a diagnosis of dry eye. Um, because we'll get into that a bit later, a dry eye is not purely just a symptom uh, it's a combination of factors and then below this which we'll discuss in more detail just now dry eye um, is either evaporative meaning that you don't have enough oil layer on the surface of your eye um, protecting the tear form or um, it's aqueous deficient so you're not producing enough 
uh, tiers. But we'll get into that in, in just a little bit uh, more detail soon. Okay, so what are the uh, symptoms, Dr. Joseph? So your classic symptoms of dry eye are that of discomfort, burning, foreign body sensation, um, grittiness. People can have red eye. They can describe it as being itchy as well. So that a symptom is what a person describes. And another very common symptom of dry eye, which is often overlooked, is blurred vision or intermittently blurred vision. And every time you blink, uh, the vision comes back in again and you leave your eyes open for a few seconds and that vision disappears again. It's a very similar concept to the windscreen wipers on the car. If the windscreen wipers are working properly, it's, you're going to be able to see what you're doing while you're driving in the rain. Mm. But if the windscreen wipers aren't working or if they're not on, you're not going to really see very well. So your vision becomes intermittently blurred as a symptom of dry eye. Those are your common classic symptoms. So, Doctor, what are the common causes? Would allergies be one of them? So, that's a very good question. Um, because it's such a complex disease, we look at a whole bunch of factors. We split those up basically into extrinsic, meaning outside of the eye, and those could be environmental. It could be allergic, as you've just mentioned. Uh, we could have a, a history of rosacea. Rosacea is a skin condition that's caused by two little organisms, the one of which is uh, commensal to our face. So it actually lives there. That's what it means, commensal. So um, it's called Staph aureus, Staphylococcus aureus, and that causes the skin reaction, which can cause inflammation of the oil glands of the eye. Um, and the oil glands of the eye are really vital in secreting what we call lipid or mabum, which protects the uh, tear form and prevents evaporation. It's like if you have oil and water in a frying pan and you put it on the stove and heat it up, if the oil layer is there, you're not going to lose the water, are you? And in, if you take that, that oil off, if you skim it off, you lose the water. So you end up in this uh, circle of dry eye. Autoimmune diseases, something called Sjogren's, where you have a dry mouth and you can you can have severely dry eyes. Um, other significant autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, uh, we've got to look at a really detailed history to make sure that the extrinsic factors are uh, perhaps um, uh, causing uh, or adding to this uh, dry eye picture. And then you've got your intrinsic factors, and your intrinsic factors are uh, related to the ocular surface itself. So the deficiency of the oil glands, when we look at your um, tear film, it's composed of three layers, water, mucus, and oil. So any of those layers that become deficient uh, or result in the intrinsic instability or on the surface of the eye, um, and that can cause a dry eye. And dry eye, another part of the, the definition that that is important to the loss of homeostasis is inflammation. And that's why people can present with a red eye as well. And often when your eye is red and uncomfortable, you know that you're already in this vicious circle. So when we look at treating dry eye, um, it's not only looking at those extrinsic or intrinsic factors and treating the disease, the systemic disease potentially associated with it. It's treating the symptoms with lubricants. And there's a host of different lubricants preferably preservative-free because any preservative on the surface of the eye can cause damage, or oil-based, but also using anti-inflammatory drops in the form of steroids and non-steroidal um, uh, anti-inflammatories to try and uh, 
uh, curb this inflammatory cycle. So it's a very, very complex problem. But certainly allergies, what allergies do is they um, push you over the edge. So they cause uh, the release of inflammatory mediators on the surface of the eye. This causes um, uh, inflammation or redness. The redness and the inflammation worsens the production of tears or the production of oil and can make the dry eye worse. So it's an extrinsic factor that can make your dry eye symptoms worse. So you've got to treat the allergies to treat the dry eye. Okay, well, it's very, very interesting. So, Doctor, when somebody comes in, how do you actually diagnose dry eye? Yeah, so a thorough history is uh, really important. As I've said, looking into the detail of uh, systemic diseases, their fluid intake is really important. Listening to that, uh, you've got to drink a good two, two and a half liters of fluid a day for the healthy production of the water component of your tears. TV time uh, and screen time, we often find that people that are spending three to eight hours a day in front of iPads, laptops, screens, mm. reading books, they do two things inadequately. One, you don't blink enough because yeah. you're fixated on the screen. And secondly, you don't blink properly. So a proper blink is actually when the upper lid and the lower lid meet in the middle. And that is a reflex that stimulates the secretion of oil from the little what we call meibomian glands or oil glands on the surface of the eyelids, which then coats the tears and prevents evaporation of the tears. So uh, often well, we find it in these, uh, the, what do we call them, the X generation, the computer generation, people who are, mm. you know, on uh, in big corporates spending hours and hours a day in front of the laptops and computers. They often start struggling with significant dry eye in their late teens, early 20s, 30s because of something called meibomian gland dysfunction. And meibomian gland dysfunction is the biggest cause of dry eye dysfunction of the oil glands and is often underdiagnosed and undertreated. But um, so I'm, I'm, I'm digressing a bit, but basically the history is really important. But we've got also a number of clinical exams that we do. So we, we look at the surface of the eye. We look at the oil glands clinically. I put an earbud onto every patient and try and express oil from those oil glands. We look at, uh, are they vascular? Do they look inflamed? Uh, we put um, a, a stain on the surface of the eye called fluorescent to look at how quickly the tears are evaporating from the eye. Um, we can look at the mucus content of the eye with a certain stain as well. We can look at the actual tear production of the eye. Uh, those are more invasive tests, but we've got a whole bunch of really advanced um, equipment that can measure what we call non-invasive tear form breakup time. So just by merely looking into this camera, it can tell me how quickly your tears are evaporating. It can tell me what the status of the oil layer is on the surface of your eye. It can take infrared imaging of your oil glands to show me the caliber, the number of oil glands, how many of them are functioning. So we can get, we can get a really good amount of data uh, by not even uh, physically or clinically looking at the eye. But the bottom line is we always use our um, data from our machines and our clinical data. We've got a new addition in the clinic now, uh, which actually measures scatter as well, which is an incredible tool. Um, basically, if your tear form is poor, remember I said earlier that you're not going to see properly and, and blinking every two or three seconds can mm. clear your vision up. Um, and, and, and when the eye is open, as the light goes through it, if your tear film is poor, your tears are poor, the light scatters off it, which degrades image quality. So we can actually record this and we can show a patient 
what the degradation of their image quality is like secondary to their poor tear form. So quite an incredible array of um, both diagnostic equipment that we've got, but we, we always use our uh, clinical acumen as well. What are the various forms of treatment available? So we'll look at the most common cause of um, dry eye being the meibomian gland dysfunction or the oil gland dysfunction. Um, and as I've said, it's the only way you can pick that up clinically is either imaging these oil glands or physically compressing them to see how much oil is coming out. Um, often in association with a good history, rosacea is often associated with this or uh, overuse on the computer. And getting these oil glands functional is vital again. And this is such a big um, component to dry eye that myself and a professor, Tony Bunn from the University of Cape Town, he's a biomedical engineer. We came up with a product called the OptiTherm um, heat compression device, which is a uh, mask that you heat up in the microwave for 20 seconds and you wear it on your face uh, twice a day with your eyes closed, lie back, listen to music. And, and what this heat does it actually starts melting the oil glands or the oil that are in those glands, okay? Because those oils become thick and hard. You need to melt them first before you can mobilize them. So doing this twice a day really starts mobilizing those oils or melting those oils. And then we advocate using a little earbud or a Q-tip, turn it on its side, and you actually compress your eyelids um, towards your eye. So you can imagine you're pushing through your eyelid towards your eye with an earbud just under the eyelash line that is starting to mobilize some of those oils onto the tear form. There are a number of devices as well uh, which can actually cause stimulation of the oil release um, through uh, uh, pulsed light. Um, there's other instruments called the, the lippy flow which can actually melt and, and express these oils as well. They tend to be a, a more expensive though. So that's the biggest, the biggest target is treat the problem. Um, apart from that, we can also give you oil-based non-preservative-free uh, lubricants. We can give you omega-3 capsule supplements. Uh, we can ask you to increase your uh, intake of fluid. And then something that's really important is called the 20-20-20 rule. So for all those computer users out there or iPhone users and pads, every 20 minutes that you're doing a task, look away from your screen for 20 seconds and blink 20 times. It's called the 20-20-20 rule. <laughs> so basically 90% of my patients with dry eye have oil gland dysfunction and we go through this exact discussion and I show them videos on how to do it. Um, but aqueous deficient dry eye where, you, where you're purely not producing enough, then we can start conservatively and give you preservative-free uh, water-based lubricants. Um, this is phase one of the treatment. I often then bring patients back at six to eight weeks. If we see that you are failing on phase one, we can move to phase two, where we introduce a mild corticosteroid. Remember I said that um, a dry eye component is inflammation. If it's really severe in the beginning, we'll start the steroid straight away. But we never use steroids longer than three to four weeks anyway because of their potential side effects in the eye. Um, phase three, we then try and wean you off steroids and then we would use um, a, a different form of anti-inflammatories that are non-steroid based. And, and those we often have to order through uh, special companies and we have our patients on those for three to four months at a time. Um, and then there's the, well, they call it surgical interventions, but uh, it's, it's, it's 
really not surgery at the slit lamp in our office. We can put a tiny little punctum plug into the drainage canal um, uh, of the eyelid. So basically, if you think of the of the eye or as of the tear form as a tap, um, there's the surface, which is the sink, and then you've got your drain. So if your tap is basically dripping, it's not it's not open nicely. Um, that little drain is still taking all the fluid away from the eyelid into your nose and down the back of your throat. So we have little dis- either dissolvable collagen or permanent little plugs that we can put into that tube to create a, a plug. So we're, we're preserving 70% more volume of tears on the surface of the eye. And, you know, so these are, uh, these are your sort of phase three, phase four treatments and a really good uh, treatment available now as well as something called Opti Serum, which uh, is funnily enough umbilical cord serum and it's rich in stem cells. My and for word. our really severe, yeah, that's incredible, uh, incredible stuff. Um, amnion membranes can be used as well for dry eyes, but basically the stem cell a drop that we uh, also order in um, starts rejuvenating or regenerating those damaged cells on the surface of the eye. Um, and then sort of worst case scenarios, you can use something called a scleral contact lens, um, which we uh, don't often use, but an intractable dry eye, meaning we're really at the end of our tether. We've tried everything, both invasive and conservative, um, and that we're at the end of our road, then we, we start considering options like this. And those do uh, work really well for patients to bring at least relief because at the end of the day, really bad dry eye can not only give you terrible symptoms, but it can affect your vision mm. terribly too. Yeah, and, and also your life quality is, is just really bad. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. You, your quality of life with, with dry eye disease, you've hit the the, the nail on the head there, Ion. Um they are often my trickiest patients to manage and to get through that process and to counsel through it because there is no magic wand. There's no quick fix. It's a lot of homework and it's a lot of therapy. And unfortunately, dry eye has a massive impact on the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. And as a refractive surgeon, it's really important um, diagnosing and treating this even before we do surgery because we know that with surgery, you know, you've got the potential to disrupt your tears by using all the uh, sterilizing agents before surgery, during surgery, and all the antibiotics and steroids that we use after surgery contain preservatives, and we know preservatives are not good for the surface of the eye. Um, so it's vital to, to try and correct this as much as we can before surgery, especially if we're using premium lens technologies like multifocal implants, um, because those require a critically normal tear form to function well so uh, we, we've really got to be uh, tuned in um, to to dry eye and the treatment of it before and after surgery so now that we know that there are various forms of treatment available we uh, come to the million dollar question that's our final question for today is dry eye curable dr joseph Jan, if you look at the history well and you treat the cause of the dry eye, then yes, 99% of the time, you're going to be able to treat the dry eye. Dry eye is not just about throwing a drop at it. It's often about going into a fine, detailed history, looking at the uh, components of the tear form that are deficient or abnormal, treating this together with the problem that you find in your history. And if you treat this holistically, 
if you treat the uh, the balance of the tear form to improve the homeostasis, to reduce the inflammation, to work on those oil glands, yes, then in the majority of cases, dry eye is curable. And eventually, people can start tapering their medication. It's unlikely then that you're going to be on medication indefinitely, unless, of course, you ha- do have a um, really bad systemic problem or we your oil glands are, are, are really, really damaged as a result of years and years and years of dysfunction. Um, you know, we can then as well go and probe those open surgically. I didn't tell you about that earlier, but we do that in rare instances. Um, and in most cases, they do open up to the point where you can restore that environment, restore that homeostasis. There are very, very few people that um, we struggle to treat to the point that we have to put into a scleral lens because the scleral lens essentially overlays the tear form. It 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 basically um, makes the brain believe that the surface of the eye is feeling comfortable. So at least your symptoms are resolved. And very often with that, the vision quality can be improved as well. So for the majority of our dry eye patients, uh, yes, there are um, in very few cases as well, neurogenic medications that we need to use. If, as I mentioned right in the beginning, that this pain associated with dry eye is central, meaning it's in the brain, um, and that can be a very tricky process to walk through with the patients because a lot of those medications, unfortunately, have side effects that are unwanted. Um, but in, I'd say, you know, 95 to 99% of our cases, we're going to get you to a point where you are comfortable and you're managing your symptoms. Perhaps not off medication entirely, but managing your symptoms. At the end of the day, we've got to look at it like, Um, high blood pressure or diabetes or cholesterol. Mm. It's something that you have and something that you take medication to treat so that you don't struggle with symptoms. And I think as you mentioned, and you were right on on the money there, if you can treat dry eye properly, your quality of life is going to be good. So very often when people know that they may have a combination of medications they have to take to ensure that their quality of life is good, then that makes it manageable for them. Sure. This has been very, very informative. As always, uh, Doc, how do we get in touch with you? Uh, Ian, we're on uh, a website. It's www.drdillonjoseph.com. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Our office line in Neisner is 044-150-0085. So certainly if you are suffering from these symptoms, from dry eye or from any other um, of the associated signs and symptoms we've discussed. Um, It may well be worth having a thorough dry eye assessment to see what is the cause and how can we sort this out for you. Fantastic. And then you also have a a YouTube channel and you're, of course, on the social media. So go and check it out, Dr. Dylan Joseph. Thank you so much, Doc, once again for a very interesting Medical Monday and looking forward to next week. Absolutely. Thanks again, Jan. Have a great one. This podcast was brought to you by eRadio. For more podcasts, check out our website on eradiosa.com or through the eRadio Essay app from the Google Play Store.